welcome to another episode of Transformation Talks, and this is a transfer story episode. Woohoo! I love transfer story episodes. I get to hear the most amazing transfer stories. I get to meet people from all over the country, and today we are super lucky to have NISTS ambassador Katie Ibsen with us. Woohoo! And I'm going to let her tell her story. She is from another UC, but it's okay. We can talk to each other. We can be friends. Uh, but Katie, welcome to the podcast. It's so great to meet you. Welcome to the Transformation Videocast and Podcast. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Heather Adams, Senior Program Manager of Transfer Initiatives at the Aspen Institute's College Excellence Program. Transformation aims to create a network and community of educators who work with and advocate for transfer and post-traditional college students. Our mission is to build community, transform culture, and empower success for transfer educators and students by sharing resources and celebrating all things transfer. Hi, it's great to meet you too. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh my gosh, it's our pleasure. I know we just got to meet now. We were going to meet at the NISTS conference where uh, you got to meet the other NISTS ambassadors, and I can't wait to hear more about that. But first... We really want to know about your transfer experience and your journey. So I'm going to start super specifically. What institutions did you attend and what was your major? Yeah, so I first went to the Sacramento City College um, Extension Campus at the UC Davis campus in Davis, California, um, before by, before finishing my associates at the main campus of Sacramento City College, and my major was anthropology. Um, and then I transferred in 2020 to UC Berkeley, where I am still an anthropology major. And I'm a, I'm a graduating senior now, so I'm very excited. I graduate in Woo! like two weeks. <laughs> Congratulations! That's awesome! Thank you. <laughs> oh, and I hear you have big plans next. Is there something coming up in your future? Yes. So I am also currently enrolled at the Parsons School of Design in New York City to study their master's program in fashion studies. So I'm taking a bit of a detour. I was originally planning on becoming an archaeologist, but... I am fascinated by fashion, and there's just not a lot of it in the archaeological record, so I'm planning on using my anthropological perspective to study fashion. That is the coolest thing, and that's great. That's incredible that you're going to that institution. That's such a great place. I'm, I'm really excited for you. Congratulations. Thank you. They also um, they gave me a scholarship, so I'm pretty excited about it. <laughs> That's the way. That's the way. More scholarships, please. Um, all right. So, so okay. So you have a really interesting um, transfer journey and uh, uh, institutions that you've attended. So, how did you come to know about transfer? You know, how did transfer introduce itself into your into your life? Sure. So, um, I just want to preface this with I've told my story a lot. So, if I forget any details, I apologize to the the listeners. But, um. Let me start in junior high school because that's you know where my story actually begins. My um, father passed away when I was 12 and I was given the option of taking my courses that year as a seventh grader, essentially pass, no pass. My mom advocated to the school board for me because she was worried that I wasn't going to do well. I think um, although that was very kind of her to do, it kind of had a backfire effect. So I ended up not really learning anything and my teachers passed me anyways so I continued to not do well through junior high school and high school. I had to go to summer school every single summer. And I remember checking my transcript when I got into UC Berkeley because I had to submit my high school transcript to prove that I graduated. I had like a 2.2 GPA. 
So I was um, in my junior year of high school and my English teacher was teaching us a module about applying to colleges and how to write our essays. And I remember sitting there not doing any of the work because I thought to myself, there's no point. I'm not going to go to college. There's no way I'm going to get into a college. I don't know how to write an essay. Like just didn't even try. Um, And I think the really unfortunate part about that story is that my English professor never mentioned community college as an option. And that's, that's why I like to start my story there is because the only option was to go to college and that was not accessible to me. I love that you shared that point because that's, that's such a valid point. And, and kind of one of the, one of the many points of this podcast is just talk, talk about community college as an option, folks. It is a college. It is an incredible pathway of success. And I, I'm really glad that you shared that you noticed that as a student, or at least in retrospect, as a student, you know, if you're in junior high, if you're in high school and you're not hearing that around the dinner table when folks are talking about community, about where you could go to school or when you're in your counselor's office or if, if you are lucky enough to have a, a professor or a teacher who talks about college, hopefully they're bringing that into the conversation. Um, so that that's really interesting. So then when was the impetus then? So if that if that was sort of your framework going into it, how did you even find transfer? Yeah, so... Most of my friends in high school were a year older than me, so they all graduated before me, and every single one of them went to community college. I have no idea how they knew about community college, because I certainly didn't, but I got to watch them go to community college and start figuring out the college pathways. Um, So because of that, I knew it was an option, but even then when I graduated high school, I was like, you know what, it's been such a tough journey, and I'm tired of feeling like a failure all the time. I don't want to go to school, so I'm going to take a break. I decided to take at least one year off while I found a job and was able to save up some money to actually pay for going to community college. And in the meantime, I watched all of my closer friends who graduated the same year as me go to community college. And I cannot tell you like how much FOMO I felt from that. Like that is probably like, I hate to say it, but that's probably the impetus for me actually saying, I want to try community college, just watching my friends doing it and feeling left out. <laughs> There's nothing like a little like competition and, sh- and like feeling left out to like get you inspired and put a fire under your butt. That's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I followed in my friend's footsteps. I figured out how to enroll in community college. I asked my friend for a ride to the main campus so I could take my placement testing. And then I enrolled in a two general education courses at the extension campus because I didn't have a car, so I couldn't go very far. And um, it was an English class and a math class. I remember not doing well in the English class and the English professor making me really mad. So I stopped going, but I didn't know. There wasn't much of a very strong orientation because I was going to the extension campus. So I didn't know that when you wanted to withdraw from a class, you had to actually go into your portal and tell them officially, formally that you're going to withdraw. So I stopped going to the class I failed it and then I got a C in the math class. So it wasn't the best start, but based on that experience, the next semester I said to myself, okay, well, instead of trying to get all of your general education out of the way from the get-go, why don't you just take some classes that sound fun that also cover some of the IGETSI requirements and kind of see how things go. So I took a a human psychology course called um, Human Sexuality and I took an anthropology course called the Anthropology of Religion. And when I took that class, I was like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. I, I can I kind of vibe with this. And I remember even 
getting out of class and walking to like the bus stop and on the phone with my now fiance telling him like how excited I was about what I was learning and that like I didn't even know that this was information that you could learn in college because I didn't have a good conceptualization of what college was or what a major was. I didn't even know the difference between a bachelor's degree and a master's degree at that point. Yeah, I absolutely get that. No, I, I, you know, it's, and it's, it's so, I mean, that's one of the great things about college is that aha moment where you realize this is, oh, wow, there's like fascinating things in the world. And there are, you know, and so I, I just, I, I think that's great that you, that you found that. So then what were, so after you delved in and, and kind of got this interesting, this interest, this like spark of what could be, and you started to see what college looked like, and you obviously had support systems um, and people you were sharing your mess, your 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 excitement with. What what was the what finally drew you to you know um, transferring to 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 Berkeley? And also, it sounds like this class was maybe the impetus for the anthropology major. Yeah, it was. Um... And after that class, the next semester, I took the um, a biological anthropology course. And I would say that that is actually the one that really spurred my my passion for my education and my undergraduate education, because I, at the end of the semester, that professor called us up individually to talk about our um, our grades in the class to tell us she made the final optional based on how many points you had. So she was telling us what, what our points were and whether or not she would recommend taking the final she slid the paper with my grade, my points across the table to me, leaned over and said, you have the highest grade of any student I've ever taught. And so to hear that coming from a pro- professor after I had failed my way fabulously through high school was this like, I can actually be good at something. I actually understand something when given the support to actually be able to invest in it. After that class, I went online to my portal and declared my major as anthropology and took as many anthropology courses as I could at the extension campus until I exhausted all of my options there. At the same time, my, my financial situation had gotten a little bit better, so I finally was able to enroll full-time at the main campus at Sac City. I still didn't really know what transferring was at that point. I was just kind of taking classes that sounded interesting and were covering my general education as well as my major requirements for anthropology, but I I didn't know what was next. I had the luck of stumbling across the Anthropology Club at Sac City, which is run by this amazing faculty advisor. Um, Her name is Natasha Storms, and she is... I love all of my anthropology professors from community college, but Natasha has such a a passion not only for teaching and anthropology, but for caring about her students and, and trying to enrich their lives as much as possible because I think she knows that community college, you know, serves a different demographic than going straight to a four-year university. So she tried her best to provide as many like extracurricular options for us, um, took us on field trips, took us to the Grinding Stones in Roseville, to the California India Museum in Sacramento, and then of course she took us to the Phoebe Hearst Anthropology Museum at UC Berkeley. And that was the first time that I'd been to any college campus besides my community college and besides UC Davis. Because I I grew up in Davis, so I I spent a lot of time exploring campus. My parents went there, so they showed me where they went to college. But my mom, being a single parent at that point, didn't have a lot of time to dedicate to taking me across the state, across the country to look at different universities. So Natasha Storms took us to the Phoebe Hearst Anthropology Museum, and we had a behind-the-scenes collections tour with the director of the museum. So we got to go downstairs into the basement. We saw cuneiform tablets, which are like some of the earliest writing systems that we know. 
We got to see really cool Peruvian pottery. We got to see their gold collection, which was awesome. She didn't stop there, though. Like, she took us on the BART. She took us to go explore the um, the city around the campus. We had lunch there. She really made it, like, an event so that we had the opportunity to see what it could be like to transfer. When we got back to campus, I said, Professor Storms, like, this is a place I could go, right? And she was like, yeah, that's why I took you there. That's the point. This is, like what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to like finish your associates here and transfer to a different university. After that trip, I basically set my sights on Berkeley and didn't really consider any of the other UCs. I did apply to the other UCs, um, you know, with the thought that I might not get into Berkeley, but ultimately I applied to five of the UCs and got into all of them. And Berkeley was the one I decided to go with. Oh my gosh. I love this story. Okay, you have had so many wonderful mentors along the way. You found one of your professional purposes and and fulfillments in life with anthropology. What other, as we kind of get more specifically into your transfer experience, what are other things you love about being a transfer? Because I, I am I am in awe of this uh, Professor Storm. By the way, I want to reach out to this woman and tell her what an incredible transfer champion, student support mentor, coach, literally and fig- literally and figuratively showed you the 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 options and showed you how to do that. What an incredible uh, Please mentor. do. If you if you ever get the opportunity to, I would ha- she also like the way she structures her classes and the activities that she has us do are so enriching. They're just they're not like any other community college professor I've ever had, so Oh, I love it. Well, okay, so what else did you love other than having an incredible mentor, incredible faculty, finding a element of your professional purpose or your at least your major? What what else is, did you love about the transfer experience? Um, I think the most important part to me and one of the things that I constantly advocate for is that going to community college is an opportunity for, to figure out what you want to do. I think it's completely unrealistic and unreasonable that we're asking 16, 17, 18 year olds to make this really big decision when they haven't had any time to figure out who they are or actually take courses at a college level and understand the the rigor or just the availability of options that there are. There are so many different majors and, and fields that you can go into and they're never discussed in high school. At least they weren't at my high school, which is unfortunate because I went to a charter academy and they really put a lot of emphasis on knowing things outside of the high school experience. It was the opportunity to figure out what I wanted to study because I just had no understanding of what that would look like. Another thing was the ability to go at my own pace because I did come to community college having failed high school. So I didn't have any study skills. I didn't have time management skills. I basically did not know how to be a student. And it took me quite a while to get through community college, but I also had the opportunity to take advantage of the different like support systems that community colleges offer, like study skill courses and the the writing center. And it took the took my time to figure out what it meant to be a college student. Those are beautiful. And I couldn't agree more. I mean, I don't know about you, but I did not know what I wanted to do when I was 18. Well, yeah, I mean, I... I I didn't even know my own opinion about half the things that I, you know, would have had to know to decide what I wanted to do. And I went into an into a field that ended up not being the right fit for me because I just I didn't know I wasn't I wasn't ready. So that I couldn't agree with you more. I I had that very that resonates with me a lot, Katie, that experience of being able to explore, find your interest, be inspired by faculty who are doing this. I really love that. All right. I want to get into 
some of the challenges and the hurdles, because let's face it, the transfer pathway is a beautiful pathway, but not necessarily completely smooth and fluid. It can be, uh, but sometimes you have to know how to navigate it or know how to make it fluid for yourself um, and figure out some of the systems that that institutions have put up and, and put in the way and hurdles. Um, but was that ex your experience? Did you have any challenges? And if so, like maybe name three specific challenges. I'd love to kind of hear explicitly what those were and maybe how you got through one of them. All of my challenges kind of came down to my personal experience. Like I know some of them are universal, but they're rather specific to me, in my opinion. I would say, I mean, the first one is the lack of knowledge as a high school student. Like coming back to my high school experience, I just didn't know. I didn't know what community college was. I didn't know how to transfer. I didn't know what an associate's was. So having a high school teacher advocate for community college would have been amazing because I had to figure all of that out on my own. And a lot of it I did through social media, which I know is going to come up later, but um, that's why social media is so important to me today. The second thing that was a huge challenge was money. Um, because like I said, my, my father passed away when I was quite young. So I, I was raised on a single income household. So my mom didn't have the money to send us to college. And that's another reason why it took me so long to get through community college is because I could only take one or two classes a semester because that was all I, all I could afford. I think that accidentally was beneficial because eventually uh, when I turned 23, I aged out of having to report my mother's taxes on my FAFSA, which opened up a lot more financial aid for me. Um, and I also at that time, started understanding that scholarships were available to me as a community college student. So, and I also had um, an uncle who stepped forward and said, you know, I, I wasn't a very good um, brother to their father. So let me take care of his children. So he helped me pay for a couple of semesters of community college. I mean, the money thing is I didn't really do much myself to overcome that hurdle besides take my time through community college, but then the lack of knowledge as a high school student, that's, you know, social media was really, really important to building that. I think, I don't know if generational knowledge is the right word, but sharing information via social media. Yeah, I like that. And the finances, that's the big one. I mean, we're lucky in California, there are some community college transfer scholarships, but money tends to be the biggest, one of the biggest barriers um, for transfers because that, you know, community college is so affordable. And then all of a sudden, um, even though you're only paying for maybe less time or less semesters at this four-year university, there are rarely financial aid and specific transfer scholarships. So I know Berkeley is a one that does have that and has a really great scholarship resource center. Um, and so it's great that you were able to explore that. And then how generous of your uncle and what a beautiful um, tribute to your, to your father uh, to, to be able to help you with that. I do like to be upfront about that because people often ask me, like, how did you do what you did? And I say, I am very privileged to have had the support system that I have because not only did my uncle help me pay for community college, but my mom pays for my rent or, you know, she, when I was living in Davis with her, she pays for the rent there. And my, you know, my fiance um, helped me save the money for my, my summer internships that I did. So I, I've been very privileged in the support system that I have when it comes to finances, um, despite my status as a low-income student. That's a really important factor in talking about how you get through and, and manage and hurdles and 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 um, thing in challenges, right? Because you, you had some of those access to other folks and and other systems of support, and not everybody does. Yep, absolutely. 
All right, so I also know a lot about some of the advocacy work you do, and I can start to see how you were inspired to now find this other part of your professional purpose that you that you're that you're working on um, through some of the challenges you talked about about not knowing how to study and not knowing kind of like where you were in the in in how to get yourself to where you wanted to go academically. So, what are some of the advocacy? Student advocacy, because I know you were involved uh, as a student in your in your institution, but also outside of that, I know you've been doing some some work to help support transfer students and, and community college um, in general. Sure. So I haven't actually done anything transfer specific on my at my institutions, but I was the president of the anthropology club at Sacramento City College, where I continued to harass Professor Storms and get her to do these you know these um, field trips as well as sharing my own personal journey with the other students in my in my club. So that was kind of, I don't want to call it grassroots, but very, very small, but on the ground with these other students who also didn't know what they were doing. Um, but at the same time, I had come across people vlogging, you know, video blog, um, their days as community college students and how they managed to go from community college to transferring to a four-year university. And when I saw that, I thought, well, if they could do it, I mean, I can do it. Um, I started my YouTube channel when I was um, in high school, and it was all about cosplay, which is actually something not a lot of people know about me. Um, I used to make award-winning cosplays, and so I would document that process. And I stopped doing it when I went full-time at community college, but I still wanted to be making content. So I had seen other people making vlogs about community college and I was like, nobody ever talked about community college for me. This is an awesome opportunity to get to share with people that it is an option and show what it looks like realistically. So I started vlogging when I was in community college and sharing what that looked like. And then that evolved into talking about community college stigma, into following my journey, applying to the UCs, um, writing my applications, my advice for applications. Um, and I don't have a huge reach, a huge following. But my philosophy is that like, if one person who needs to hear it does, then my my job is done. Oh, I love that. And I would argue that you are a transfer advocate or a community college advocate by being a transfer student leader at your institution in, a, in anthropology. Just because you weren't transfer specific, it's showing that transfer students can be leaders at the four-year institution. Often, I think transfers feel like they don't have enough time. They don't know how to navigate something as, as complicated as like a student leadership role that might only last a short period of time. They might not have befriended a faculty member to be able to feel comfortable doing that. So just the example that the fact that you were a transfer and you were president of that anthropology club is a tremendous tribute to your um, resilience and ambition and ability to, to, to figure out how to make the most of your time at UC Berkeley. So, and then yeah. this blog, yeah. So I would say kudos to that because I, I just I just know so many students who don't really think about um, haven't don't have the time or the capacity to think about other ways of engaging at their university until maybe senior year when they finally figured out the system. They're like, okay, I think I figured out this transfer thing and this like the rhythm, and now I'm almost one year to graduate, and ah, there's not enough time to really get involved or get engaged, whatever that looks like for any given student. So. I love that you did that. And then I can't wait to share. Can we share your um, your YouTube channel uh, in the story notes of this podcast? Yeah, of course. Um, and I'll just I'll say it on here. All of my um, all of my social media is under the handle The Vintage Academic. Um, so 
Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube, anywhere, basically. That's what I go by. <laughs> I love that. Is that. Does that have, is that an homage at all to like anthropology and history? And I know you're kind of into fashion too. So where does that vintage come from? It's a little complicated. Um, I started oh, seeing, <laughs> I started seeing people um, wearing vintage fashions on my um, cosplay account, my cosplay Instagram account. And it was a time when I had stopped cosplaying, but still needed some kind of personal expression. And I didn't have a personal style. And I thought that it looked really cool. So I started dressing in vintage fashions um, to community college. And my original handle was actually that one vintage girl, because that's how people at Sac City started referring to me. Um, somebody actually stopped me on the stairs and said, hey, you're, you're that one vintage girl that runs the anthropology club here at Sac City, right? And I was like, Yes, I am. Like, <laughs> I'm so excited about that. Um, but then when I decided that I want to start like pursuing a more academic career, I want something that sounded maybe not more professional, but a little bit more accurate to what I was doing. So the vintage academic was born. I am, however, um, very aware of the way that my image could possibly come across on social media, because my my style, the way I decorate my apartment, the way I dress in my opinion, is very Eurocentric and looks quote unquote expensive while I'm saying I'm a low income student and advocating for financial like increases in financial aid and scholarships. So I'm very aware of that fact. And that's one of the reasons why I try to be so upfront about like the privileges that I have had and the fact that I'm an older student, which means I get more financial aid from Berkeley. And I've also um, you know, had that support system to become a 4.0 student. So I get merit scholarships and, and am able to afford to live in a studio apartment by myself. So I try to be very upfront about that. That's great. But it's also a great point of, you know, you, you it's a, an also an opportunity to show that you can be interested in fashion, interested in um, the way that you're designing things around you and on yourself and do it in a low income way and still, ha you know, have that ability to, to do it. So I love that you're upfront about the privileges, but that you're also an example of showing kind of how to express your style on a budget uh, and, and, and the ways in which you can do that. So, well, I can't wait to share that. with. I was just going to say, I think it's also a great way to show that you can be critical of things that even you participate in, which is something that's incredibly important for academics is to be self-reflective. So, and that's one of the reasons why I want to study what I want to study in graduate school. Okay, folks, now it is time for our midpoint break and the quick fire round of Transformation community questions for hashtag TN Talks guest, Katie Ibsen. So each week we gather questions from the community using the hashtag TN Talks, and we use the midpoint of each episode to pause and see what each guest has to say about the responses to your questions. And you can continue to engage with the TN Talks guests through the week on Twitter using the hashtag as well. So uh, you can keep the questions coming even after you've listened to this episode. And if you're interested in what Katie is doing, you use the hashtag and we'll let her know that you have tagged us and we're there. So uh, let's do this. Are you ready, Katie? I think so. Okay. Okay. Let's do it. So first question, what are your top three tips for future transfer students to successfully transfer to a four-year college of their choice? Number one is to do research. Do tons of research, even if it's outside of your institution, like social media, whatever it is, do your research. Number two is to find a mentor, somebody who is willing to help you like find those experiences and find opportunities for internships and help you with your applications. 
Number three is when you actually do transfer, look for your community, develop that community fast because you only have a limited number of years at your transfer institution and having community is going to be super impactful to your experience. What advice would you give advising office staff and faculty program advisors at community college to help transfer students in their transfer to four-year colleges? I said this at the NASTS conference, but I think that every single advisor at a community college campus must be a transfer advisor because there I learned the hard way that there is a difference between a regular advisor and the transfer advisor. What is the most important collaborative action that a community college and a four-year college must take for a seamless transfer process? I think the thing that made the biggest impact in my experience was the fact that there was so much communication between my community college and the different universities in the area that you could transfer to. So we had like transfer fairs where representatives from the different colleges in the area would come and talk about how to transfer to their institution and best practices. And I think that that's one of the things that really helped. What were your biggest concerns or worries when thinking about transferring? Mostly my age. I was a little worried that being a 26-year-old adult would be a little awkward around 18, 19-year-olds, as well as um, the academic rigor was something I was really worried about. Um, Turns out operatives at Berkeley are a little bit easier than I thought they would be. (laughs) Okay, so what are you reading or watching or listening to right now that's really inspiring to you? Well, I might be outing myself a little bit, but I'm really into. I stopped reading when I got to when I got to college because I was doing so much academic reading. Um, but I recently got back into it, and one of my favorite authors is Sarah J. Mass, and her series "A Court of Thorns and Roses" is like one of my favorite book series right now. I like I've read it multiple times, and I listen to the audiobooks on my walk to school. Okay, is there any? You've had a lot of great mentors in your life. Is there anyone that you want to give a personal shout out to or celebrate because of their support of you on your transfer journey? Well, obviously, the biggest one is Professor Natasha Storms at Sacramento City College, but I'd also say Dr. Michael Grove and um, Dr. Steve Cerrone, both at Sacramento City College. I would credit them with some of the success that I've had based on the academic rigor of their courses as well as their personal support. And then, of course, Kaylin Grace Apple, the redhead academic, because she helped me with my applications and has been my friend and held my hand through the entire process because she's been through it before and, you know, extending that generational knowledge to me. Perfect. Okay, so now we're going to go into part two of this conversation and the nitty gritty advice for transfer professionals or educators or advocates out there who want to improve the transfer experience for students like yourself. And I just want to hear from you because I know you're doing a lot of work um, on preparing students for this journey and how this can look. But I want to delve into, you know, what might have impacted your transfer experience and how professionals who are listening to this, both transfer professionals, but also folks that don't have transfer in their title. How can the staff and the faculty and the advisors and the leaders and the peer mentors, how can they learn from your experience uh, and make changes on their own campus? What are some examples of of things that helped you and supported you? I think one of the biggest things that scares um, community college students about transferring is the fact that there seems to be this going to a four-year institution is kind of like a black box. You don't know what it looks like. And as much as going to community college is college, that it feels different when you when you think about transferring. So I, I wonder if maybe developing some more communication between campuses or maybe a program where you get to see what upper division courses are like before you actually step into that space would be really helpful in easing a lot of the anxieties that transfer students experience. 
Um, and I also think that it would be an opportunity to reduce the culture shock that happens when you move from one institution to another. I do know that places like Berkeley have peer mentorship programs, such as the Starting Point Mentorship Program, where community college students are paired up with a current transfer student at Berkeley, and we walk them through what my classes look like, how to write your applications. And it's just that like one-on-one peer mentorship that kind of answers your questions and things like that. But I didn't know about it until I got to Berkeley and I was a mentor myself. So I, I was never a mentee, but so promoting programs like that. I love that. To connect with people with shared experience and shared goals, it makes such a big difference. I think there can be a perception that, oh, well, if we only do things for transfers, there's this siloing of like, you're a transfer and you're not. But the thing that's great about transfer mentor programs or transfer centers or transfer groups is that they allow us the moment, the confidence to connect and start sense of belonging and, and place somewhere, right? It gives us a moment to have a shared experience Oh, you get me because you're an older student or because you're a transfer student. You've done the journey. You understand some of the things I might be thinking. That gives me the confidence enough to then step out of my comfort zone and become the, the, you know, the, the, the leader of the anthropology club or the student rep in student government or take a student job in a, in an environment I might not have before. And so I do think that those types of programs can help folks build a sense of belonging and build that sense of empowerment and kind of ability to own your experience when you're there. So I love that you brought that up. Another one that I wanted to point out that you brought up maybe inadvertently when you were talking about transfer um, advising at community colleges, you said something that I, I loved. You were, you were saying, I think everybody should be, all advisors should be transfer advisors. Talk a little bit more about that and what that means, because I think that would be an incredible advice to an institution. If there are any deans listening to this or any uh, presidents listening to this or any directors of advising departments, talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Sure. So at Sacramento City College, at least as far as I know in my experience, we had our college advisors who helped us figure out what classes we would need to take for the majors that we were trying to pursue. But that's kind of where it stopped. There was no conversation about what to do if you want to transfer or, I mean, they would pull up the iGetsy or they'd pull up assist.org and look at that and tell us like whether or not the classes are the classes we should be taking. But there was never a conversation of, hi, you want to major in anthropology, what what campus do you want to transfer to to finish your bachelor's? That wasn't a part of the conversation. And it wasn't until my last semester at Sac City did I actually see that there was a transfer advisor specifically. And so I I met with her and her whole thing was, let's figure out what institutions you want to apply to, what those transfer pathways look like, um, what their programs are, and, you know, like what resources are available to you. And I I just wish that I had had that from the get-go. And I'm really remorseful that I didn't have that communication from when when I first met with an advisor my first semester of community college, because I wonder if my progress would have been a little bit faster, I would have had more direction. Exactly. And the research too, the research on transfer and community college transfer says the earlier you can start talking about that transfer uh, path and option, the better, the more successful you're going to be ultimately because you're going to know about it early. And, and, and you're not, that's a very different conversation than, okay, yes, your classes all fit, I get see. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing. That's great. That's one element of transfer. But the also, what is it that you want to do? What institutions have really great programs in that? Have you explored? Have you looked at their website? Have you visited their campus? Are you thinking about transferring? Period. Some students don't even know. Like we said, we're that's an option. Oh wow, you know. 
And we there's a lot of stories of students getting into programs that are actually like terminal degrees that don't transfer because no one was talking to them about development in their career. Terminal degree is fine, but you're going to want to grow in your career. So if you you get that certificate and you want to then become a manager, you're going to have to get a BA and transfer eventually. But often sometimes if you go into that terminal degree, those credits don't transfer. So if you have no one talking to you about it early in your transfer experience, you might choose a path based on your immediate desires and your immediate needs. And then later kind of go, oh God, I wish someone had just said to me, this is what this option does. These are the limitations of this option. It's not a bad option. Just these are the differences. I also think that the language present on community college campuses could be improved because, like I said, I went to the extension campus. I never saw the word transfer until I finally got to the main campus. So I think being like having that language, like starting your community college journey with the expectation or at least the knowledge that transferring is part of this pathway would be really impactful because I was just kind of bopping around, not sure what I was doing. And on your website, you know, sometimes it takes 15 clicks to get to a transfer page. How cool would it be if, especially if your community college has multiple missions, you know, one of your mission is workforce, one of your missions is um, certificates, one of your missions is just serving all students, and one of your missions is transfer. So wouldn't that be great to have that right on the home page so that you, as a, as a student, green and early in your experience to be like, ooh, let's click on that option and see what that means, uh, rather than having to find it buried under the other options. I can see it as like a scrolling banner on the front front page, like the, those four different missions. That would, that would have been amazing. Right? I love that. Okay, well, so for those who are listening, hopefully we've got some web designers and some comms uh, communications managers listening too, because I think that's part of the problem sometimes, right? We're not necessarily thinking of the other communities, the other student communities under the umbrella of student, uh, you know, and, and and that needs to be named. You know, as an older student, I, I also felt your 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 hesitancy and your um, the similar hesitancy about, you know, being an older student on campus. And I actually kind of felt invisible as an older student on campus at a UC where there's not a lot of us, right? Um, and it's not like they cater necessarily to that crew, but if you're going to recruit that crew and that that community, then you you need to know that community is on your campus and and claim it and um, and and support it. And if I could take a bit of a tangent, a little bit of a detour back to social media, I think that's one of the things that is super important about social media because one of the conversations we had at the NISTS conference was how do we meet students where they're at? Well. Most of your students are on social media, especially if we're talking about the people who are coming straight from high school or even like dual enrolled students who are in high school and community college at the same time. Um, You know, Generation Z is on social media, mostly on TikTok, but that's beside the point. One of the things that I think is um, so special about Berkeley is like not only do we have these different student groups that cater to different identities and, you know, help you find that sense of belonging, you know, depending on who you are. It's that we have these small student group social media presences. So we have the Transfer Student Center Instagram account, but we also have like um, the Vietnamese student Instagram account, right? It's I think it's really hard to develop a trusting relationship between the viewer and the Instagram account when it's coming straight from um, an institution. But when you have these smaller student groups, they're often run by the people who run that department or the people who run that center, as well as the students that work for them. And it's their stories and their voices that are being highlighted. And um, I was even you know, talking to Armand, the other, uh, one of the other NISTS ambassadors from UCLA, and he said, I found 
my people because I found them on social media on Instagram. And so I think that's one of the things that isn't being utilized well enough. And also, um, I don't think people understand it well enough because they do often take the let's just talk about it as the institution kind of perspective rather than how can we actually get student voices um, highlighted and how can we connect them with other people who are looking for their community. Well, Katie, you know you're speaking my language, and it's like you read my mind about what I wanted to talk about next, because I both want to talk about your experience at NISTS and some of this incredible social media outreach and social media communication you're doing. And I think it's another message for the comms managers listening is, are there ways to pull in that student voice in your student communities, even if you have to have your official account? Um, UCLA was really great about that. When I'd reach out to their comms department, they they let us do transfer takeovers on the made the, the Instagram account of UCLA, not just our transfer site, right? And and I, you know, this is sad a little bit that we're having the same conversation, but I think it's not it's not really that we haven't grown. When I was a transfer student, which wasn't that long ago, but Facebook was the was the thing, right? And I started a Facebook group at UCLA. And that uh, and and that turned into the Instagram account that Harman is talking about. And um, but it was the same thing. It was like nobody, everybody was emailing us, and but we're emailed so many things. We nobody like there's so many emails coming your way, and they're from every different department and resource at the institution. So you're not necessarily seeing the ones that are specific to you as a transfer student or as an anthropology major. So why not outreach in a way that uh, is on an on a platform that students are already scrolling, in a way that's going to co- communicate with students because it's by students for students, or it's in a and it's in a forum that of communication that we are already engaged with. You know, whether you're an older student, whether you're in your 30s or 40s and you're on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, or whether you're young and you're on younger or older on TikTok like us, you know, you've got to. You got to start somewhere, and um, you've got students right there at your campus who are hungry and skilled at doing it. So why would you not do this? But let's talk about you specifically. What are you doing on social media, and how does that kind of counter um, uh, interweave with your experience at NISTS and what you're doing there? I want to give credit where credit is due and say that social media is difficult. It's um, understanding the algorithm takes a little bit of time and things move so fast that it can be hard to feel like you're catching, keeping up with um, where people are moving and what they're doing. But me personally, I, I've tried to take advantage of the different platforms and the way that they work. Um, and I've noticed that a lot of the community college students are on TikTok and they're also on on Instagram. And so my kind of, I guess my strategy, if that's okay to talk about. Um, I make a lot of the short form kind of funny and relatable content via Instagram and TikTok. And that gets people commenting, asking questions, looking at my profile, and then ultimately finding the link to my YouTube channel where I share the long form content, the informational videos that say, this is how I did it and how you can do it, as well as the relatable content in the forms of vlogs or also aspirational content. Sometimes my vlogs are a little bit more aspirational where people comment and say like, UC Berkeley is my dream school, but I'm just starting community college now. Like I'm, I love your videos because they inspire me to do better. Or they inspire me to actually try to apply to the UCs and things like that. That's exactly it. Is How are you outreaching via social media? You personally, the strategy is great, but just who are you talking to? How are you communicating and engaging with them? And then I also want to get to NISTS because I know you connected there and we're sharing some of this great advice um, and great insight to some of the professionals that were at that conference. 
Sure. So I talk to a lot of people. Um, I respond to comments every single day of people saying like, I want to go to community college and transfer or, you know, your account is inspirational to me. Um, I even had one person comment on one of my most recent videos about getting into grad school that she said, oh, it's it's so cool to see a student who's coming from the exact same background do what I want to do. Um, so I have the opportunity to meet students where they're at that way. But I've also had the opportunity to meet people like the Redhead Academic um, and other transfer students where we actually get together and we produce content, we um, form businesses together, like Accepted Consulting, where we actually get to work one-on-one -on -one with students in their application materials. Talk a little bit about that, because I don't know if our listeners know, and we'll put this in the show notes, but what what is that? What, what is, is Accepted Consulting? Tell us about it. Sure. So Accepted Consulting was started by Kayleen Grace Apple, an alumni of UCLA, um, transfer student alumni of UCLA. And um, she started it because we noticed that there was a gap in the services provided to um, in terms of academic consulting or admissions consulting. A lot of admissions consulting firms either focus on the undergraduate level, so coming from high school or at the graduate level, but they are exorbitantly expensive and don't meet people at the lower income rate that we try to meet people at. So we focus specifically on transfer student admissions consulting and then lower income graduate or non-traditional graduate consulting. So I head up the transfer admissions um, division where I, I get to meet students and work on them one work with them one on one with their applications. And it's actually been a really interesting experience personally, because I feel like I'm very highly specialized in the UC system now, but I've been helping students across the nation and that as well as the NISTS conference have been really illuminating about the, you know, the status of community colleges and transfer pathways across the nation. That's super cool. That's really cool. We'll make sure to put those links in the chat. So uh, in the um, show notes so that folks can explore more if they want. But I'm really impressed by the work that you all are doing and following you all on social media. And I'm one of your audience members who's very inspired by the work that you do, uh, um, both through, through um, you know, Redhead Academic, obviously, but through your own personal account, as well as Accepted Consulting. So thanks for sharing that. Um, okay, so as we wrap up, are there any, is there things we haven't covered? What is, you know, are there anything else that you'd want to share with with listeners today about the transfer experience or about your work or about your personal journey? I think one thing I forgot to mention that kind of complicated my entire transfer journey um, and something that I do want to advocate for, even though it's not necessarily directly related to transfers, um, I have had undiagnosed ADHD up until last summer. I was finally diagnosed at 26 years old last July, and that is another reason why I didn't do so well um, as as a student. Um, one of the unfortunate things is that it's often gone underdiagnosed or unrecognized in women because it presents differently than the stereotypical hyperactive little boy kind of diagnosis that the DSM-5 has followed for such a long time. Having known that now, I can approach my academics in a slightly different way. But I think my experience having gone undiagnosed, and this is what I was thinking of before I had the thought about talking about my ADHD, is that to inspire other transfer students, I don't know if it's actually inspiring, but to keep trying. Just keep trying because, I mean, I, I'm terrified about applying to graduate school and moving to New York, but I would be much more, I'd be really, really sad if I didn't try. 
you know, I, I would be really, really sad if I had stopped going to community college because there are so many things that I wanted to learn, even though it was a start and stop kind of process, even though um, coming to Berkeley was really difficult and, you know, going through the pandemic was you know detrimental to everyone's mental health. But keep trying because I think you'll be a little resentful if you didn't. That's perfect way to wrap up and really great advice. And I wish I had the data on this, but I do know that a lot of community college students, there's a huge community um, in the, the neurodiverse community, as well as um, what was typically called our um, disability centers, but are now um, uh, accessibility centers. You know, lots of students really do struggle with some of the things that you were talking about, whether that's um, whether that's ADHD, whether that's dyslexia, whether that, you know, and that's actually one, a big, huge part of our, an umbrella, a community under the umbrella of the transfer community. And I, I would bet that the percentages of community college students and community college transfers uh, that have um, either learning disabilities or ADHD is probably higher than the, those that go directly from high school to four-year institutions for the first time. So I love that you brought that up. Thank you. I also um, really want to advocate for community college as a neurodiverse person. Um, I think the fact that community college allows you to go at your own pace and to figure out how to be a student is something that neurodivergent people need because we don't all fit into the little box that universities operate under. And I think I've been really lucky to have come into the anthropology department at Berkeley because most of them don't follow typical like, you know, teaching paradigms or grading structures. And that has been very you know useful to my neurodivergency. But if you are neurodivergent and you're worried about doing well at a four-year university, I think taking the time to learn what a four-year institution, like how a four-year institution operates, it was one of the things that helped me be successful. Katie, thank you so much. This has been such an inspirational conversation. Uh, thank you for sharing a little bit of your story with us and with the Transfer Nation uh, listeners. It's just been such a joy to get to know you, and I'm so glad we're connected. Thank you so much for having me. I, I mean, I wouldn't be here if I didn't love doing it, so I'm very excited for the opportunity to talk and to get to meet you, the, you know, the Transfer legend, so thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening. To continue the transfer conversation, be sure to join the Transfer Nation Facebook group at tinyurl.com slash wearetransfernation. You can also follow us on Instagram at wearetransfernation and on Twitter at transferpride. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at tinyurl.com slash tnationtube. If you have ideas for future episodes of the Transformation videocast and podcast, please email us at wearetransfernation at gmail.com. We can't wait to continue celebrating all things transfer with you. And as always, in Transfer Pride. <laughs>